my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Today we have Bandy Kiki, a Cameroonian entrepreneur and LGBTQ plus activist. In 2016, Bandy was listed among the 50 most influential Cameroonians under the age of 40 by Avance Media. Today, Bandy will share with us on her professional and personal journeys in Cameroon and the United Kingdom. Hey, Bandy, welcome. How are you? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. I was so happy that you said yes to the interview. <laughs> I think these conversations are necessary and from having them in the Black space, even much better. So I always, always say yes. Yeah, and I've been hearing that a lot, especially with the people that I've interviewed outside of the U.S. So you're in the U.K. If I read correctly, you're in Manchester? Yes, I live around Manchester very cold sometimes and rainy most of the times, I guess. I'm back in Sweden, but I was there for five months. Okay. And I joked with my family because I'm originally from Arizona, which is very deserty and arid. And I was like, I have a secret for you. It rains a lot in the UK. <laughs> exactly. So if they want a bit of rain, they should move here. Yeah, really. Yeah. But it was great. I mean, for me, it was like a change of... Um, scenery. I mean, also coming from Los Angeles, where I lived a long time. I've actually been to Manchester once. I think it was this past May for a few hours with a friend. And I actually really liked it, but I don't know that much about it. (laughs) I think I prefer Manchester during the night, not during the day. I think it's very beautiful during the night. So why at night? I I don't know. There's something about the city at night. I think I prefer things at night, to be honest. (laughs) I, I think I know what you mean. In LA, it's known for a lot of things, but as far as the look of the city, I don't think it's necessarily an attractive city, but it looks much better, like you said, at night, especially downtown. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, So just to kind of get us settled into things, how are you? How was your week? I'm overwhelmed by a lot of things. It's Black History Month here in the UK, so there's a lot going on. There's a lot of speaking engagements going on as well. So you're keeping busy, staying active, and all that good stuff. Yes, yes, yes. And you mentioned that it's Black History Month. I was in the UK last year for a few months, and that was my awakening that it's in October. In the US, it's in February. But it was really great to see what was being done around the month. Quite a lot of conversations going on, Black LGBTQ conversations, and also just uh, people sharing Black history as well. That's good to hear. How long have you lived in the UK? I have lived in the UK since 2011, February 2011. So a little over 10 years, 10 and a half years. Yes. I can't believe it's been that long, though. I came to this country when I was just uh, 19, I think. Hmm. So can I ask, what was your transition to the UK like? Is it the Cameroon or Cameroon? Cameroon. Cameroon. Yes. So. When I came to the UK, yeah, (laughs) the first time I arrived here, um, I think my flight was about to land and I looked through the window 
and the trees didn't have any leaves, <laughs> which was very surprising. I've never seen trees so bare, you know. I got out of the plane, the weather as well was just crazy. It was really cold. I didn't dress for the weather. I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't do any research about the UK weather. And it made sense um, after a while, you know, because I used to wonder why UK people talk about the weather all the time, but it made so much sense later. Of course, then I started trying out the food here. Oh my goodness. It doesn't compare to the taste back home, the food, the potatoes were a bit too watery, tasted a bit different. Then I discovered that I'm a black woman. <laughs> I didn't know I was a black woman. You know, I've always been in a country where my skin color is the majority and there have never been any questions around my skin or any stereotypes around my skin color. So I guess in a way that was a big eye opener when I arrived in the UK. What were some of the things that you noticed or were the things that were said to you around that? Back home in Cameroon, especially in Salt, where I'm from, from a tribe called Salt, uh, when you see an elderly person carrying maybe like groceries and they're struggling with it, you'd always ask, do you need any help? You know, um, so I did that here and I was given a very weird look, a suspicious look. What's she trying to do? She's trying to steal my stuff. I didn't understand that then, but people, other Africans, uh, explained that to me. Then it was also another time when I went to the park with a couple of friends from uni at the time and somebody was shouting, go back to Africa. And I kept wondering why are they shouting, go back to Africa? You know, another thing that I struggled with as well, where I come from, when we have visitors, we always give them the best meals, give them the best beds, treat them really nice. It's a cultural thing. But it wasn't the reception I got from the UK, but it was a different conversation here. Then I started having conversations around immigration, how immigrants are taking jobs. But I was thinking, I'm a student here. I'm not exactly coming here to take anybody's job. I'm coming here to study. I'm bringing money to your country, actually. Right. So, yeah, so all those things wrapped together was really an eye-opener for me. That's a similar conversation that is brought up in the U.S., you know, about immigration and all that stuff. I mean, the U.S., it's like, well, we're all technically immigrants, if you really look behind the curtain. But yeah. even like in Europe, it's like my awareness of friends that I know who move to different countries or even what I'm experiencing so far being out of the U.S. is that usually people who move to a different country, they're moving with a very, very strong and positive work ethic. Oh, yes. I mean, I don't have any facts behind me, but I would say studies would probably show that. All Africans that I know here in the UK are very hardworking. There's nobody just sat there waiting for somebody to give them something for free. So we're actually contributing to the UK economy in so many ways. Yeah, I've yet to go to any of the countries on the continent, but I seem to hear that general sentiment, very community-based, very much making sure that, you know, everyone's needs are met around them. The things that, you know, I think people in the Western world, I don't like to use that term, but, you know, in the West <laughs> kind of reminisce on, it's like, well, we could have that too if you just kind of change your attitude. But no, that's my opinion. <laughs> so you've been in Manchester. How is it now with COVID? Like, are you guys completely open as far as the city in Manchester? I mean, we have open. We have had a lot of things relaxed around us. 
people advise to social distance and wear masks, but it's, it's no longer mandatory as it was before. There are conversations around maybe going back into lockdown during winter, because apparently you have more infection rates during winter, isn't it? But for somebody like me, I found it a bit difficult going back to my normal life, doing things, going outside. During lockdown, I started taking a lot of time for myself and it's been difficult to give up that time, you know? Yeah, I think I understand what you mean about that, yeah. You know, I mentioned in the intro that you are an activist, you're an entrepreneur. How did that come about for you? I grew up in what most people would call a rural area in Cameroon. And around my mid-teens, I became aware of my sexuality. And around that time as well, I didn't have anybody around me that I could then see my lived experiences or have my feelings validated through their own lived experiences. And when I finally came out, I wanted to be that person that I needed when I was 18 back in, so, you know, struggling to unpack my sexuality and then what it meant for me as a Catholic Christian. <laughs> mm. I think that's pretty impressive that you decided early on in your awareness of that part of yourself to be an example. Was there anyone around you that influenced you in that way? You mean influence me in what sense? To become an activist? In the sense of to say that I'm going to make sure that I'm being my authentic self, but how can I use that to create good for those around me or those like me? Me being my authentic self, it didn't happen till I moved to the UK. And it ah, happened much later in life. I've just uh, summarized my journey. Ah, I see. <laughs> yes, I struggled a lot with self-acceptance. Um, I struggled a lot to even understand what these feelings meant and why I had different thoughts from what the friends around me had, you see. Even when I moved to the UK as well, and I became aware that homosexuality wasn't a crime, you know, in this country. As well. It took me a while to relax because I come from a country where most of the times authorities do what they want, even though the laws say something else. Mm -hmm. You understand? So when I finally had the courage to come out, that's when I decided then to be the person I wish I had when I was younger. You mentioned like the awareness. How old were you when you started to have those awarenesses? Around my mid-teens. So around puberty. Yeah. Are there laws on the books against being LGBT in Cameroon? Yes, there are laws against... Um, homosexuality in Cameroon, you could end up spending six months to five years in prison with a hefty fine as well. I don't know if you know this, but when you become aware about something, it's like the universe opens information up to you. If you become interested in basketball or something, when you go everywhere, that's what you see, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't exactly aware of the laws until I found myself thinking about what my feelings meant. And it was also around the time that there was a list of homosexuals published by uh, a newspaper in Cameroon. So there's a lot of conversations around it in the media as well. And then again, I started paying attention to conversations around homosexuality as well in church because I was born Catholic or in a Catholic home, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I like the way you put that. Like when we become aware of the world, all of a sudden it's like technicolor. Yeah. In some ways. But it sounds like it's, I won't say the same, but I can relate to like becoming aware of the comments around those of us who are part of this community and going, oh my God, uh, I'm one of those people. Now what? Yes, exactly. Uh, I know as a gay man, we're told to present as far as being hyper-masculine. I'll just say for me, it's like being hyper-aware of my movements and, you know, don't move my hands too much because they say that's not a manly trait or how I cross my legs. Was that something that was a part of your awareness or your journey? Um, I think a lot has happened since I came out. Since I accepted myself, I've never been one for long hair or doing my hair. I've never liked that. So in some ways, it helped me become myself, cutting my hair off, even though that was understood by my community as me trying to be a lesbian. I have also then found that within the lesbian community, there are certain expectations of me. People expect me to be maybe very feminine, representing as a femme or masculine representing lesbian. I don't see myself identifying with any of those labels because some characteristics of mine are what you consider for typically a masculine representing woman. And some of my characteristics as well come from women who are very feminine as well. So it's been a difficult thing adjusting to what the expectations are within the community itself. And also just seeing how some of those things as well have then created a new form of homophobia within the community itself, isn't it? Where maybe two feminine women are together, people are like, oh, and you have maybe a masculine woman not respecting that relationship because she feels uh, like that relationship is not that serious. Or you have two masculine women together and then people are like, that's so gay. And I'm like, excuse me, <laughs> are we not in the lesbian community here? What do you mean by that? So gay. So I've learned a lot since coming out and since being active in the community. I like how that conversation has been coming up pretty frequently in the last few years about gender expression and how it's much more, um, what's the word, nuance than we thought it was. It's not so binary. I'm starting to become aware of how I've been affected with that type of mindset and how I've probably police myself instead of looking at, okay, who am I just without all that judgment, which becomes my own self-judgment. So I like hearing how you're kind of giving yourself permission to process that. One of the things I tell myself is I have given up so much to be authentic. I have given up so much to live openly as a lesbian. And I don't think anybody's going to tell me how to be a lesbian. I don't think there's one way to be a lesbian, to be honest. So um, even though there's some expectations, um, for example, I did have somebody who is obviously heterosexual telling me that you wear so much makeup for a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. (laughs) So you, you do have comments like that, expectations. And I'm tired of those expectations, to be honest. And sometimes as well, I also find myself internalizing those conversations because sometimes it affects you, you know, and it can also just affect the way you present. Maybe not uh, all the time, but around certain people, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And maybe I will say around the arena of dating, it's like sometimes that kind of rhetoric will filter in. It's like, well, is that why it's a challenge for me? <laughs> exactly. Then you start editing parts of yourself present as what somebody would like or what you imagine somebody would like yeah which you know my experience is that's never good <laughs> never i discovered you through your work as a writer and just hearing that you were on that list of the 50 most influential people under 40 sounds like you were raring to go in that part of your life very early on how did you get started well i found that Kinaka's blog, which for a very long time was the most read blog in the English part of Cameroon. You know, Cameroon is uh, bilingual. I don't know if you know that. So I found that as a stepping stone, I've always been interested in e-commerce. I've always wanted to know how consumers behave online, how they interact with content, um, how they interact with products. And to me, that was like a gateway to collect that sort of data, you know. And I, as soon as I had it, I slowed down a bit on the blog and I've then gone ahead to launch other businesses online. Sounds like you were ahead of the game because that's a conversation I've kind of sort of been aware of more recently in the last couple of years. To be honest, I've always been keen about the internet. Um, I went to boarding school back in Cameroon and I remember we used to have like a computer class where we have access to the internet and computer halls, obviously. And I would skip the class before the computer class so that I can stand in front of the door. So that once the door is open, I can have a computer. The computers were not enough for everyone. And we had a, it was a big class. So yeah, I used to do that a lot. So I've always been very keen on um, the internet. I've also just been very curious about people's minds, why people think the way they think. And for some reason, you can see that online, isn't it? When I go online sometimes, for example, when I go on the shade room, shade room, mm -hmm. You should be familiar with that. I can see how Black Americans think and Ooh. what forms <laughs> exactly what forms those thoughts. I also became aware that a lot of you are not very good with geography. <laughs> I was gonna say no, we're we're very good at it, but then you'll quiz me. I'll be like, all right, I confess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's for me, it's like a window to the world in so many ways. You know. Yeah. So for those who may not know, can you explain what e-commerce is? E-commerce, it's internet business, <laughs> simply put. Yeah, e-commerce, doing business online. You know, for example, you have Zara, that's an e-commerce business. What are those American stores again? You have Fashion Nova. Yes. It was a possibility I was going to be hired here in Sweden for an e-commerce company. So I sat in on a couple of seminars and... You know, fashion, as you mentioned, is really kind of seems like been one of the front runners when it comes to e-commerce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that Cameroon is bilingual. So what languages are spoken there? So we have um, two main languages because of our colonial history. We have French and English, but you do have 200 and I don't know, it's 40 or 50 something tribes in Cameroon which means that those tribes have their own unique languages and obviously unique cultures as well. You said 40? 240 something. 240 something. Wow, that's amazing. Now, do you speak both French and English? To be honest with you, <laughs> my French is very rusty. I do obviously speak English, but my first language is Lam Salt. Lam Salt. Lam Salt and Salt. 
Second language is English. Third language, obviously, is French. When we talk about Cameroon being bilingual, it's not that bilingual. Some people speak French, some people speak English. A few number speaks both English and French. So, yeah. Oh, no judgment here in the States. You know, uh, it's questionable if most of us speak English. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's amazing because I, I love language. I love words. And, and that's why I was, again, interested in your literary pursuits, especially being a Black LGBTQ plus person here in Europe. Do you have any other literary outlets? I'm more of a business person as opposed to a writer. I do other things as opposed to writing, probably analyze people's thoughts more than I write. Mm. I kind of heard that when you talked about the shade room and getting into the minds of Americans. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. It's like a sport for me. I go there every day just to see what you guys <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> you guys are up to. <laughs> I've never been on there, but like, guys, watch what you say. <laughs> No, it's fine. Um, So being from Cameroon and then me being a Black American, what are some things that are unique about the country as far as culture or food? We have everything. We have deserts, we have rainforests, we have all of it. The food is amazing. You have different types of food. You have ikwang, you have achu, you have bukon, you have katikati. Cameroonians listening to this would be probably swallowing <laughs> their saliva, <laughs> you know. Like I mentioned earlier on, we have 200 and something tribes. I can't really remember the number, to be honest. Um, and those tribes have unique cultures. And all the tribes also have, like, a special traditional meal that is known particularly, you know, in that tribe. Our traditional dish in salt is fufu and katikati. You also have a traditional wear. Some cultures share similar traditional wares. And yeah, Cameroon is a really nice country. But unfortunately, at the moment, which some people will not be very happy if I finish this conversation without mentioning it, Cameroon is going through a civil war. I mentioned earlier that Cameroon is bilingual. So because of the colonial history, you have eight regions, which you guys call states, which are French speaking. And then you have two of those that are English speaking. So you have 10 of them all together, meaning the English side is the minority since you only have two English speaking regions. What has happened historically is we've suffered a marginalization, you know, being the minority. And some people would argue that English speaking Cameroonians are considered second class citizens. So since 2016, the English speaking parts that are demanding more out of the government and because there are so many groups at the moment are demanding for independence. Some are asking for a federation. So there's been quite a lot of uh, going on at the moment where I come from. There's a lot of killing, a lot of kidnapping, a lot of um, stray bullets here and there. It's really a sad thing. And this is all connected to colonialism. Yeah. You know, as I told you, sometimes I go to blogs, different blogs, just to see what people say about stuff. I once went to a UK blog. I can't remember what platform it was, to be honest. And it was during when Trump was still president. And there was a lot of conversations how he was a disgrace. Mm -hmm. And then I saw a lot of some English people making jokes about maybe we should recolonize them again. These are non-Black English. Okay, sorry. Yeah. And in that moment, I thought, do you know what is going on in Cameroon because of this colonization that you're just throwing around and making jokes about it? 
But I've also learned that no matter how upset Africans are, the world doesn't seem to listen. Even other Black people, Black people across the world, they don't seem to listen to Africans. I don't know why. People can make jokes about Africa or make jokes about things that hurt Africa and get away with it and nobody will say anything. There's a cancel culture going on now, which you Americans are very <laughs> keen about, isn't it? The cancel culture. Mm. I, I don't see that that happening when somebody offends Africans. I don't see people asking for an apology or asking for that person to be pulled off certain endorsement deals and stuff like that, which really, really annoys me most of the time. I'm hopeful that this platform can help with that. I know from my experience as an American in general, and then specifically a Black American, it goes back to education. I heard somebody say the colonization of the mind, globally, as you mentioned, And that's why I'm very keen on asking specific questions when I interview people from the continent to remind people that Africa is not a land. It's not a country. It's a continent. Same as, you know, I always say that uh, when somebody says, oh, he or she is African, I say, well, what does that mean? What country are you talking about? You wouldn't describe a person who's European. You wouldn't say, oh, he's European. She's European. You say, well, what country they're from? I'm hoping that you have a lot of uh, Black Americans listening to this is Africa is the center of blackness. And if people don't respect Africans, people are never going to respect black people, full stop. You know, because before you even speak, people just assume, people would link you maybe to Africa before you speak, isn't it? If somebody sees you now, they're not automatically think you're from the US. So building Africa, making sure we get the respect we deserve is our job. It's not just for Africans. It's for everybody who is Black. That's a good thing to say. and No BS on that one. (laughs) Um, To kind of continue with Cameroon, who were you growing up apart from LGBT? Who were you? What were some of your interests, some of your passions? Wow. Maybe before I found out about my sexuality and obviously puberty coming together, hitting me hard, I had a really good childhood. Mm. I can't begin to tell the things that I did. And um, looking back now, how different it is from kids growing up here in the UK. I had a lot of friends, you know, play outside. I come from a very middle-class background, by the way, just so people have a visual, you know, they're not thinking I'm playing on trees. I had so much fun, play around, read a lot of novels, books. I was very keen on reading all that. I wanted to be a journalist. Actually, I wanted to be a nun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, you have Catholic influence, a lot of Catholic influence. Went to a Catholic primary school. And when all the time we go to church, you see sisters and nuns in their outfits and priests, and they get a lot of respect from the community around them. And I was like, yeah, I want to be that. Mm-hmm. Then um, after primary school, a cardiac center opened up not very far from us. And I wanted to be a cardiologist because there's a lot of conversations around how life-changing the center would be for the community. Along the lines, I was also interested in journalism and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have also always just been a foodie as well. <laughs> I love my food. I spend a lot of my childhood eating, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I have a cousin in New York. She's a huge foodie. Yeah. Yeah. She was disappointed because she came out to visit me when I lived in LA and she had the list of the best restaurants there. And she's like, you've never been here? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> she's my person because I would definitely check out everything. I really like food. 
did you have or do you have any favorite authors? Um, I used to read a lot of stuff from Daniel Steele. Okay. Yes, I used to read a lot of her stuff. I also read a lot of stuff from Chino Achebe. I think that's how it's pronounced. These days, I read a lot of journals and literature around the LGBTQ community. For some reason, I don't find time to read something just because I want to, you know, read it. With LGBT mentioning, unfortunately, how it is now in Cameroon, even though legally it's a challenge or I guess culturally, are you aware of like maybe underground groups or underground support groups there for people? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of underground groups. I don't know if you know about this, but quite very recently, uh, two trans women were arrested in Cameroon for attempted homosexuality. We had a lot of support internationally, but also there was a conversation going on within the Cameroon community as well. And around that time, it also opened me up to some of the communities that I wasn't even aware of, you know, underground communities I wasn't even aware of. You have a lot of events. Um, I had a conversation with a guy the other day who told me he was part of a, a drag event. I don't want to mention the city, by the way, yeah. uh, because of security reasons. Like, I didn't even know this was happening. But again, everything is hush-hush. You have to know somebody within the community to know where to go to and where it's safe in Cameroon. Yeah, I saw one of your posts on Instagram where you mentioned your love of sex education in Netflix series. Have you seen all of the... I've seen all of it. Okay, so yeah. I'm at the part where Eric goes to Nigeria and kind of... Ooh that world that we get to see really glad to see that yeah yeah that was a window to what is happening in a lot of african countries for example you had eric's friend i can't remember his name he went in and checked escape routes before asking eric to go in oh that guy yeah yeah i can't remember his name yeah (laughs) you think when you are within uh, that space you're very much alert to things changing suddenly and you have to move very quickly isn't it so it was a big eye-opener yeah I like hearing those stories and and again reminding people who in my opinion have a limited view of what it's like to be LGBT on the continent of Africa that there's still joy there's still hope and there's still people fighting of course I also want to mention during this podcast that because sometimes we forget you know, as queer Africans, how we got here, why we can't be ourselves in our own communities. Again, it's down to colonization. Pre-colonial Africans were very happy with sexual diversities, including people who were gay and lesbians. Uh, There's a lot of African history to back this up. So please, if you're listening to this, do read that as well. It's very common to find people talking about the LGBTQ situation in Africa and tagging Africans as backwards and they're not evolving. And there's a reason for that. Some of these thoughts and what is now perceived as the African culture was beaten into us. As an LGBTQ activist as well, we have had challenges working with international organizations or just simply saying Africans have always been queer because there's a conversation now saying that we are bringing it from the Western world to Africa as opposed to that's how Africans have always been. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. For me, it reminds me of the collective ignorance of people in other parts of the world who forget that 
at least coming from an American perspective, it's only been since 2015 that gay marriage was legalized Mm -hmm. or, you know, the army, I think that's less than 10 years or even just a lot of things that have happened culturally have only happened in my lifetime. So we can't act like we've been so evolved and so Mm -hmm. progressive. Mm -hmm. Like you said, this is an inheritance from mainly the continent of Europe. So let's not forget that. So can I ask, how was it for you to leave your home country? I guess I was excited. Uh, the UK has done a good job of selling itself to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Most Western countries do that, isn't it? Pride themselves as we are the best in this, we're the best in that. You know, we have the best healthcare system. We have the best uh, education system. I mean, some of it is true. Some of it is not. So I was super, super excited to come here and see what all the hype is about. Part of me was sad, really, really sad leaving home. I remember my mom at the bottom of the stairs who passed away, unfortunately, whilst I was in the UK as well. Mm. So I think about that and I think about some of the things I've gained by being in the UK, you know, being able to be my authentic self. And then some of the things I've also then lost by being here and not experiencing them home, you know. Yeah, it was a mixture of excitement and some of it was fear. I came here again at the age of 19. Some of it was fear. Uh, and some of it was knowing that it might be a while for me to see my family again. Have you been able to go back since you made the UK your home? No, unfortunately, I've not been able to go back. Um, I found myself saying I would go back. Then the crisis started happening, you know, the civil war in 2016. And then I got involved by talking about politics and I started getting a lot of threats. Then when I came out in 2017, there was that conversation as well. When my mom passed, I decided my family wasn't the right thing for me to do by going back home for security and other reasons as well. And to be honest with you, I need the closure. I need to go back to see my mom's grave, obviously. I need to be able to say my goodbyes. But also, I don't think I would be able to recognize how I left things. A lot of schools have been burned down because of the war. A lot of people have been killed. Uh, A lot of people have left where I grew up. So it's not going to be exactly the same picture I left. Mm. There's a lot of fear amongst my people. Young girls are getting raped by the military and the uh, rebels. For anybody listening as well, please do Google uh, what is happening in Cameroon. It was very chilly, you know. And I'll make sure to do my part too, because I I wasn't aware of some of that. Mm -hmm. Now, within the UK, are there communities of people of Cameroonian descent? Yes, they are. But I have also just found that just because Cameroonians are in the UK doesn't mean they're no longer homophobic, Hmm. you know. So rather than look for communities where they are Cameroonians, sometimes I would have to then seek people from other countries who are also LGBT and, you know, we can then be authentic selves. But yeah, there are communities here, a lot of communities actually. Now, as an activist, as an LGBTQ plus activist, how are you involved in the UK? I do a lot of volunteering here in the UK. I'm a trustee for Rainbow Migration. Okay. Used to be UK LGIG. I am also a trustee for Black Beetle Health and director for um, Living Free UK. 
Aside that, I do a lot of free speaking engagements. Some of them I charge, obviously. I share my lived experiences as well as contribute towards maybe policies. Initially, it was very difficult for me to find spaces in the UK where I could be my authentic selves. I'm talking about all my identities, being Black, a woman, you know, a lesbian and all that. So what I want to do is to be able to create those spaces somewhere for people who need it. I know you've been in the UK for a while, but have you been to or lived in other countries? I have not lived in other countries. I have visited other countries. I have visited South Africa. I was in South Africa in 2019 for the Queer Women in Business Summit. I volunteered with them as well. I have visited Malta. Okay. I have visited France. I don't know if you've visited Paris. I've never been. It's not what they say it is. <laughs> Again, it's the hype, I guess. I find it's a very dirty place as well. I kind of have heard that, yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Oh, I visited um, Germany. I have also visited Belgium. Do you have a favorite of any of those places? I did love it in Malta. They were quite very friendly people there. And the seafood, oh my goodness, I love seafood. So it was really good. I loved the experience in South Africa, being able to have so many women in the room who were queer and business as well. Because I left Cameroon when I was very young. I wasn't into the, in the business since. And I've never really seen that many women around my age in power. So seeing that really energized me and gave me a good feeling about myself or about African women in general. But to be honest, I've only visited these countries because they're closer to me. South Africa was work, but I've only visited Malta, Belgium, France because they're closer. Where I actually want to visit is Zanzibar. Okay. Yes. I hear it's really good there. The food, I've, I always look at pictures online. I'm like, oh my goodness. And it's just sad how um, a lot of pictures about Africa or, you know, other countries across Africa. And poverty is the key conversation, not that beauty, not that the, what you see in Zanzibar. This is years ago. It was on YouTube. I don't know if it's still on there. It was um, Africa's Next Top Model. Yeah. For me, it was eye-opening because I actually know somebody who grew up in Sweden, but her family's from Uganda. And what I noticed and what she encouraged me to notice was that when we think of Europeans, Italians have a look, the Germans have a look, the French have a look. And what that opened me up to realizing is that from different countries, Africans have a different look. Yeah. And I remember she said, oh, if you noticed the model from Uganda, we probably don't look alike, but we have similar look. I was like, oh, wow. One more thing that needs to be talked about more is our looks, our beauty are not one look. Yes. But unfortunately, media used to paint a universal standard of beauty, isn't it? To close out, do you have any other creative endeavors professionally or personally? I am currently working on something that I'm not happy to share yet, but I think it would be a shame for us not to document what is happening in Cameroon at the moment. You know, a lot of queer African history was left undocumented and look at what is happening now when you're trying to have conversations around Africa, African queer history. People are like, no, that's never existed because that was not documented. I think the stories of how we are navigating the current environment or the current climate as far as LGBTQ rights are concerned in Cameroon should be documented as well. So I'm working on something around that. 
also I am in a self-development journey. All of my educational background is not business, you see. So I am trying to do a bit of self-development to make sure that I have a more businessy language and obviously know a few key business principles as well. But apart from that, I'm just living, eating. <laughs> yeah. You know, nothing too special. I'm going to use what you've shared about food to excuse myself to have chocolate again tonight. <laughs> I had a medical issue that required me to lose a lot of weight. And it's also just then required me to be a bit mindful of what I eat. But sometimes when I start to eat those, you know, healthy diets, then I tell myself, what if I die today? <laughs> you know, I always find a way to convince myself to eat what I want to eat. I, yeah. For some reason, I can't help it. I'm still learning that it's still about moderation. But when you mentioned in the beginning about the English food, I first went to the UK when I was 17. And I told myself, I will not eat McDonald's. I will not eat any fast food. I am going to focus on the authentic English cuisine. And I lasted three days. I was like, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've said that, I've just remembered something. You know, when I came to the UK, it was very difficult to adjust to the taste of the food here. The only thing that was seasoned enough and had a similar taste to what I'm used to back home was KFC. I can't begin to tell you how many chickens I ate. And <laughs> I, I left KFC a very happy girl. I don't eat it as much now because I've discovered African stores where I can buy, you know, real African food and stuff like that. But then, oh my goodness, KFC was my go-to place. So when you mentioned the spices or uh, the seasonings uh, from the cuisine, because my take on some of the English food that I've tried is that it's just pretty bland. I mean, India has a lot of things, don't get me wrong, going on well for them or for her, but food is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the pastries. I'm not a massive pastry fan, so... Well, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. And where can we find you online? So I am Bandi Kiki on all platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, B-A-N-D-Y-K-I-K-I. -K -I -K -I. You got lucky. You were able to use the same name for all of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always make sure that I do that all the time. I look forward to following you on your professional journey online. And I will be doing my part to get the news out there as far as what's going on in Cameroon. Thank you. And don't forget again, I'm going to be on the shit room. Looking uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Americans. <laughs> yeah, actually, you could probably help us. Um, I don't want to say improve, but look at ourselves maybe a little differently. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also very, um, can be very overwhelming how similar we are mm. in some things, especially when we talk about being raised by a Black mom. It's very similar to being raised by an African mom. Uh, they don't like to see you relax, just sitting down and doing nothing. Yeah. You know, your parents calling for you, maybe you're in the room and there's a remote control next to them and they're like, can you... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then there's also this meal soul food that you guys have. We have things like that, even though we don't call it soul food. The similarities are there, but also just some of the differences. Again, like I said, geography is not your thing. 
I think America's in general, if you sat most of us in front of a map and said, you know, you have 20 minutes to do this or the world will explode, they'd be like, all right, let's just shorten that time. <laughs> I was talking to a girl once on Instagram and we had such a nice thing going on and I really liked her. And then she asked me where I'm from and I said, I'm from Cameroon. And then she said, is that one of your states? Oh, wow. Okay, that's I almost passed out. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, oh. and then I also had an incident where um, there was this African-American girl following me on Instagram. And obviously I post a lot of my captions in English. Mm-hmm. And then she said, why don't we speak African? Why do you keep speaking English? I don't speak Africans. Some South Africans speak Africans. Well, that kind of reminds me that the tools of colonialism that Americans have taken on, because we get the same thing sometimes in the States where somebody has said, oh, well, you're Black, you must speak this language. It's like, if you've read a history book, we have been disconnected from that for centuries. And that was lost within one or two generations because they intentionally separated people so that those cultures didn't stay intact. But it's interesting to hear that we are doing that as Black people. Yeah, we definitely need to be aware of that. I think most of the times when you've had something done to you over time, you tend to project those things as well. For example, as you just mentioned now, people asking you that in the US, some Black Americans asking Africans that as well. Is this just the same thing like the normative behaviors that are expected within the LGBTQ community? It's something that we should be facing from the outside, not within the community itself, isn't it? So I guess um, they say hurt people hurt. I heard, too, that we take on the tools of the oppressor and sharpen them and kind of cause more damage in some ways. Yes. Even for myself as well, I sometimes I catch myself on learning things or I catch myself saying something that I shouldn't be saying, something that has been said to me. You know, I'm doing the same thing to somebody else, and I'm like, no. We sharpen those tools, as you said. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a relaxed and nice conversation. It was fantastic. I really just enjoyed myself, to be honest. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.